This is the Absolute Business Mindset Podcast, created and hosted by Mark Hayward. This podcast will interview entrepreneurs, business owners, and people in their careers. We will delve into their journey to success, key life milestones, and go deep into their area of expertise. This podcast will inspire and educate with great guests. Get ready to learn from other successes and failures. Today, we have John Briggs, who's the founder of Insight Tax. Hello, John. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a lot of fun and we can talk about your businesses and your career and journey to where you are now. So we'll start right at the start. So why don't you tell me about Insight Tax? What do you do and, uh, and how, what's the makeup of the business that you've got there? Yeah, so right now um, we sit with about 35 team members. Um, we focus on, well, so we want to help our clients grow their wealth. The mechanisms that we've chosen to do that is through tax savings, cash flow management, and bookkeeping. Um, and so those are the main three components of services that we offer. And um, it's just, we get a lot of satisfaction knowing that this is an area of the business that most entrepreneurs kind of run away from. Mm -hmm. But once they realize it's important, having, you know, a partner like us in their life really helps them kind of be, bring the yin and the yang to, to their strengths. We bring our strengths. And now all of a sudden, instead of living paycheck to paycheck, these guys are able to save money, create a retirement account, um, have profitability so that they can actually expand their business. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've been around for, um, almost 15 years and uh, we we continue to grow we it's just this is it's a really fun and exciting time for a business good why do you think entrepreneurs dodge these sorts of areas accounting tax and those sorts of areas um i well i think because for the few of us in the world that enjoy this we're abnormal and most most people uh it just numbers and money. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's a global cultural thing. I do believe somehow people are conditioned to think this stuff is super complicated. So don't even waste your time, even attempting to try to figure it out. And then they get into things and they realize I should figure some of this stuff out a little bit because it might be holding me back. But yeah, I don't, I think maybe just people are conditioned and it's, it's like an acceptable thing, but uh, we're happy to remove that conditioning and at least get them to understand enough so that they can still run their business without spending a lot of time uh, in a, any good accountant. Like people should be looking to have a good partnership with an accountant um, yeah. so that they can do the stuff that you for sure don't want to understand but you understand enough that when you communicate with them, you can make better business decisions. So I'm actually, I'm, I'm well behind the curve. I'm actually listening on Audible to Profit First, uh -huh. um, uh, which I'm finding really interesting. I've got an accountant and, and, and we're working very well and we're trying to be a little bit proactive and not just reactive. But are you, are you an advocate of Profit First? Oh boy, am I. So, ah, um, yeah, I actually, Mike Michalowicz has become a really good friend of mine. And I remember when I read the book, I read the first chapter and I thought, all my clients need this information. Mm -hmm. Of course, I was too arrogant to think that I had any problem with my cash flow. <laughs> like, oh, we, I'll learn this and I'll teach my clients. And then once I implemented it myself personally, um, it was awesome. But I don't know if you know this, but Mike actually opened it up a few years ago where, um, so I'm a profit first professional, so I'm certified. And for those of us who are certified, he said, if you have a group that you're niching in and you feel like the system is changed enough that it merits a book, we're going to license you the ability to write the book. So actually, last January, the January before COVID happened, um, I published Profit First for micro gyms. Um, so I wrote the system specifically right. to help gym owners, boutique fitness studios, yeah. um, implement the system in a way that they understand better than the, than the original system. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. I didn't realize he, he, he had that offer. That's fantastic. Um, so when I was doing the research, it says your mission is to give entrepreneurs actual work life balance 
so they don't need to get burnt out. Um, How did you come to your conclusion that this was going to be your mission? Well, um, I mean, to be fair, I've I've discovered the mission after experiencing working with business owners. Um, And I've seen how burnout happens. And I mean, this plays perfectly into the profit first system. So if people aren't super familiar with it, profit, the, the title profit first is super sexy, but really it's a cash flow management system that's designed to benefit the owner in a way that they're actually getting rewarded for all the work they're putting into the company. Mm -hmm. This isn't a thing about greed. It's a thing about just the acceptance that if the business owner is not earning enough money, at some point they are going to burn out. And a lot of times it actually hits up like a wall. I mean, we've seen this entrepreneurs are like paying themselves last is usually what happens because I, I got to pay this bill. I got to pay this bill. I want to invest in this. I want to get the money here. I'm going to sign up for to get some more sales over here. Well, oh, I hope money's left over so I can pay myself. Mm-hmm. And they can keep doing that for a long time. But once they realize and they physically and emotionally feel that sense of, holy cow, look how much I put into this. And what do I have to show for it? Mm-hmm. That burnout wall pops up real fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having worked with business owners, I've seen that. And then helping them implement the profit first system, we've seen it, it's almost like a vaccine for mm-hmm. burnout. Like we're able to then help them start putting money towards paying themselves first mm-hmm. and saving money for their tax burden instead of mm-hmm. covering that out of the personal stuff. And now they're going to be in business for as long as they want to be in business. Um, and so that's kind of where we've just, I, through life experience, I found that the world will end up being a better place if the people who are passionate about the business, who've taken the courage to even do it, because that's a rare person mm. to begin with, mm. if, if they can receive the compensation necessary so that they can stay in business as long as they want to, the world is a better place. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, what do you think the one thing is that entrepreneurs should think about? So new entrepreneurs. So I'm coming up to a year. Uh, I left my corporate job on the 16th of October, 2020. What do you think for me and for other people in their first year, what should, what should we be thinking about from an accounting point of view? Um, usually, I, I mean, the first thing I would think about is generating income. Right. So that's not necessarily an accounting function, but uh, I just I've seen clients that wasted five or six years trying to write the perfect business plan when they could have just been out selling their product. <laughs> and then they use that cash like you, we need cash. It's the fuel to run the business. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. Don't overthink it. Like get to a point of making cash first. Then um, at some point you're able to and Usually, because if, if we're startup entrepreneurs, your accounting needs aren't super crazy. And so most can get away with doing their own type of QuickBooks or even using the Excel file. But I think as soon as they have an, a little bit of income that they can start leveraging that money to free up their time, um, hiring an accountant should be one of the first things they take on. And the reason is, is because... Now you're going to get consistent reports that are probably a little bit more accurate than what the entrepreneur is able to produce on their own. Mm. And those reports tell a story and they can help the business owner, which the accountant can train the owner how to do this, to interpret the numbers and kind of see the areas like, oh, you know, I've just been so busy in the day to day. I didn't actually realize it looks like I'm overspending over here on, on office supplies or um, revenue really dipped this month compared to the other ones. I wonder what happened. So like they're, the financial statements are trying to give you questions to ask yourself. Right. Um, and so the sooner you can get to a point where you're getting those regularly, I think uh, puts you in a, a seat for success. We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. 
But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. I would agree with that. I, I, so I, I employed a, a, an accountant straight away and we are just preparing to do the first corporate tax return and, and, and it's, it, we're just in that space now. So um, it's, it's interesting. We, we use zero with an X as, mm. instead of quid books. They're all those, I think those two are the best two that we've got in the UK. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's really interesting. You say that I was, I was listening to profit first and, and they were saying about if you've got one of these softwares, one of the things you should be doing is downloading to see where the, and 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 download your 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 profit and loss in, in essence mm-hmm. and see what you're spending your money on are you spending it on courses are you spending it on sales or marketing are you spending it on employees what are you actually spending your money on to actually get a, get an assessment and i think from my point of view although i've got this software I never thought of actually leveraging the software because I was ignorant rather than anything else, rather than a lack of um, that motivation. But actually, I'm going to do that in the next couple of days and actually have a think about well, what am I actually spending my money on? Is it so? I've got a property business. Is it is it just all on maintenance of the properties, or yeah. what were they spending on? So I, I will I will keep you abreast and, and and tell you how I get on with that. So because I think it'll be really revealing to see what I'm actually spending most of my, my corporate money on. Yeah, and so with the profit first system, we actually recommend that you are sitting down um, no more than once a week or at least twice a month. Those, that time period is sufficient enough. Um, And there's other things you do. I won't, I mean, we can get into the system as much as you want, but one of the things that we recommend you do on those days is to look at the last few weeks. So if I'm, if I'm sitting down every Friday to do this, I'm going to look at the last seven days. Yeah. And I'm looking at every transaction because I want to know, and this is how business owners can stay on top of being financially healthy because when you don't do this, your business gets fat and you end up having expenses that you're not actually benefiting from. Mm. Um, And so we recommend going through those seven days of expenses and just asking yourself, is this actually helping me produce revenue? Is yeah. it helping me with retention? Is it productive for my business or was it like a nice thing to have or I thought it would work and now it's not working? Right. As part of our services, one of, the, one of the consulting meetings we have in the Profit First Package is we sit down with the owners and literally dig into their expenses. Mm. One of two comments, usually both, end up being made. And <laughs> entrepreneurs are going to resonate with this. One of the things they say is, um, I have no idea what that expense is for. That's a common one. Or the other one is, I thought I canceled that. Okay. Like a Both of those thing. are immediate indicators of low-hanging fruit of expenses you can chop yeah. so that your profit increases. Because you already have, like, if you don't know what it's for, likely not a productive expense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tread on ground which is a bit shaky in the UK and it's probably the same in the US. Tax planning. How do entrepreneurs choose the right approach for tax planning? Yeah, I mean the tax the US tax code is like seventy seven thousand pages. I imagine the UK tax code is equal, yeah. equally uh, ridiculously long. Um, this is definitely not an area where I would ever encourage an entrepreneur to try to do it on their own. Um, Bookkeeping is one thing. And I get, especially in the beginning, bootstrapping, trying Mm -hmm. to save cash. Um, But because tax code can be so specific based on people's situations, you really do want someone you can advise with. Uh, But that being said, you know, a good advisor is going to be able to look at your situation and they're going to find even things like in the U S a simple thing is, do you even have the right, structure is an llc the right thing or an s corporation or a c corporation like that decision alone can make a massive tax difference Mm -hmm. and then you get into all the other intricacies of um i mean the reason the tax code is so long in the u.s probably the same way in the uk is that you have these lobbyists who are paid to go and try to like influence the government 
to make law changes that happen to benefit the people who are paying the lobbyists. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in college working on my master's degree, we spent an entire lesson going over the Microsoft tax code. Right. It was some section. I don't even remember the name of the, the number of the section, but the professor's like, this was enacted because Microsoft paid a lobbyist to get this in place. And it had something to do with software and the way people can expense it or depreciate it. Um, but yeah, you need an advisor. Don't, don't try to do that one on your own because um, I think you, you kind of said like, even with your thing, it wasn't a matter of lack of motivation. It was a matter of, you just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So this is that same scenario. You don't know about like, it's just, it's too much for a person who's not doing this day to day to stay on top of all the things that change. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and my accountants told me about there's different allowances that you can get. So I've got a property business that you can get for uh, investing in your uh, properties that you can get relief from and all stuff like this. That is well beyond my sphere of knowledge. So I would, I would encourage anyone, any entrepreneur that uh, wants to do their accounts and their tax properly is get a very good accountant. Get as, a, as totally. best accountant as you can afford and get them to work for you to get the best way of getting yeah. the right tax. And a good tax advisor is going to be able to save you more money in taxes paid than what they charge you for their fees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's jump to you, uh, to your degree. So you did a, actually a degree and masters in tax and accounting. So let's go all the way back to there. Okay. What made you choose accounting and tax? <laughs> um, so I, um, I lived in Argentina for two years, mm-hmm. um, doing some, uh, things for my church. And as part of that organization, you have like a mentor, a person kind of in charge of the group. And I was getting close to the end of my two years. And I said, look, you've gotten to know me now for two years. Um, what do you think I should do? Like this guy had been a mayor of his town. He was a successful business owner. So I really trusted his judgment. And he, he told me based on my personality, he's like, you should go into do something in business or go into law. Um, I'm like, okay. Turns out both of those paths. So I tried to find all the classes that were both of those paths at school. Mm. And accounting was one of those classes that I was going to have to take regardless of what I chose. Honestly, it was the first time in my life that a subject just clicked for me. It made sense. Physical science, biology, astronomy, history, none of that stuff makes sense to me. But accounting, debits and credits, like I'm one of those weirdos. Like it just finally clicked. And I just, it, I loved it so much. And so I went down that path. And then as you get further into the path, usually you can choose to become an auditor or a tax person. And um, I had done enough research and talked to enough people and found out uh, if you have a tax degree, they'll always pay you more money after you graduate because it's a specialty. Even if I chose to become an auditor, they were still going to pay me more because I have a tax degree compared to the guy who just has a normal accounting degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from there, then I got into the taxes and I realized, Oh, this is fun. Um, I love the game because the tax code is so complicated. If I take a deduction on a certain form that might save the client even more money in taxes so like, oh, you're allowed this deduction, but here's a couple of ways we can take it. Here's the way to maximize your refund or lower your tax liability. Um, and uh, so just that game, I just, I loved it. Um, so I worked for PwC for 12 years in sort of tax area. And 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 the number of people that I, when you're meeting people at events and, mar- and things like that and networking, the number of auditors... Uh, at PwC, that after their three years of doing the the, the accounting and the training that were in audit, were that we've got to get out of this, we've got to get out of audit. Where where can we go? And they, so there was two other options: there was the tax that they could go into, or they could go into sort of management consultancy, which some did. But there were a lot of people who were like, "Thank God those three years are over. I'm qualified now. I can do something a bit more fun than." counting bricks or count the, the funniest actually the funniest thing i heard was a guy who lived in the midlands so the middle of england and um 
he uh, worked for, I don't know if it was JCB, but one of these big companies, and he had to go in and count the tractors. <laughs> and I was just like, that is actually the best auditor you could ever find, isn't it? <laughs> You're checking how many tractors in there. Like checking like a, for, for, for a business can be really boring, but going in and seeing how many tractors, I thought that was, but yeah, the, the number of people who start to start an audit and then move at PwC is, is huge. Yeah. And for every poor auditor who uh, gets the benefit, the blessing of counting actual tractors, you have a, hundred thousand of them who had to count the tires yeah. or I remember. Um, so I worked at Deloitte and even on the tax side, they made you do a week of audit right? And literally for an entire week. So 55 billable hours, I had an Excel file and I'm clicking the ending balance and I'm clicking the beginning balance and I had to click a macro and right. literally for 55 straight hours, click, 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 uh. click, 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 click. I'm like, this is, why would anybody, I, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Like, it was exactly. <laughs> Okay. Now, this is really interesting. So, you worked at Atlas Marketing Group. Uh-huh. And the thing you said is that you learned that there are greedy, lazy, and overpaid people out there. I don't know if you were mentioning people at that company or not, but that was something you learned from working at that company. <laughs> so, how did you, what, like, what, what made you think about greedy, lazy, overpaid people in that arena? Oh man, this is, so Atlas Marketing was a summer sales door-to-door sales company. So they would find college students and then the college students would go out to different areas and they knock doors. And this particular company sold Dish Network, which at the time was a lot bigger than DirecTV and they sold DirecTV as well. Um, so, I was the first controller they had, and they'd been around for about five years. I, uh, I'm going into these team meetings, the leadership meetings with the president and the vice presidents, and I'm like, hey, you guys, okay, here's the deal. For every sale that we're making, I've just ran the numbers, we are keeping $8, which is, was a 1% margin, which is not a sustainable business. And they're like, yeah, what's the problem? We'll just sell more. I'm like, so even if you sell 100,000 units, that's $800,000 of net income. Like, you guys are burning money so fast. So I said, there's this crazy idea that's sweeping the business community. And I think if, I, if we implement it here, it, it's going to make a drastic change. They're calling it a budget. And these guys were like, oh, we don't need a budget. You're so paranoid, John. We're just going to sell more. Well, the year that they did almost $30 million in revenue, they declared bankruptcy. We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. And they, were their expenses, what the, their expenses were just so high. Yep. What were they spending it on? Well, the president drove an Aston Martin. Okay. So right. his monthly payment was like five thousand dollars a month. Um, a couple of people had some Ferraris. Right. Uh, one of the guys, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gone in Sixty Seconds with Nicolas yeah. Cage. Yeah, yeah. So Love Eleanor. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the movie, they made three Eleanors. Right. He owned. He owned one of them. He wow. bought it. Uh huh. Um, they, I mean, literally a sales guy would come in and say, Hey, I need to install a theater room in my house because I'm going to be able to recruit a whole bunch of sales reps. And like, well, how much money is that? I need like $30,000. Cool, man. Just make it awesome. Like, wow. that's why I'm greasy, uh, greedy and lazy. They, all they did was spent energy on how do I spend money yet? They did nothing to actually 
go out and earn revenue. And uh, it was, they're actually the poster child of the, um, what happens when you don't have a profit first system because 30 million in revenue, they should have been fine, Mm. but they had no boundaries around their cash and they just didn't care to put them around it. Interesting. So how long did you last there? Uh, Well, I was, I went down with the ship. I tried to help them all the way through the end. Um, I, I think I worked there for about two and a half years. Right. Okay. And the last six months it was post bankruptcy, like trying to, see if they, they can recover terrible terrible yeah <laughs> so then you cut your teeth at is it so solence solence yeah Solens. <laughs> oh yeah uh and you 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 found about maintaining books tax returns researching tax issues so was that was that a uh was that a better experience that you had there <laughs> i wish <laughs> i uh i've feel fortunate very now that I had those two first jobs out of college um, to really shape what has happened to me. And I think uh, what we've been able to accomplish here at my firm, but so uh, post bankruptcy or even before bankruptcy, I, I saw the writing on the wall. So I knew what was happening at Alice marketing at the time. My neighbor had just started an accounting firm and I'm like, Hey, look, uh, while I was in college, I worked at Deloitte. I have a master's degree in tax. I enjoy it. Um, let me go back to that. And so I, I ended up talking him into hiring me. Uh, he was the owner and founder of Solens. And, um, about two weeks into that job, he's like, Hey, based on where we're at as a company and what you're doing for the company, I think it makes sense to give you some ownership. And I was like, heck yeah. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Uh, so he gave me 2.5% ownership, just two and a half percent. Um, but I, at the time in my life, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Little did I realize in the U S there's a fun little law that says, if you don't have enough, like you always have to pay your W2 employees. That's a legal obligation you take on when you employ them. If someone's a partner in a business, there's no legal obligation to pay them. Oh no. Now at the time it wasn't a big deal. Things were going good. He and I were working hard. We brought in there was another guy who so there's three of us who are partners. Uh, obviously I still had the two and a half percent ownership. And about, I don't know, three years into it, he's like, uh, my mom's getting ready to retire. We're gonna buy her firm and we're gonna merge it with ours. Now, if anyone's listening and you're an entrepreneur and you're thinking about merging, please do your due diligence. Um, in this case, it was the ma- the majority partner's mother. She had been in business for 30 years, and her gross revenue was $80,000. Right. That's terrible. Yeah. We, right. like, we can get uh, an experienced accountant here with zero billables, and within a year, they'll have $150,000 of revenue in one right. year. Right. 30 I, years, 80 I was going to say, how did she keep the business going for 30 years? Um with credit card debt, because then what we also got by buying her firm was a $4,000 a month debt obligation to help her pay down her credit cards. So, which, so after we pay off the credit cards and uh, some of the staff to help with the work on all her clients, we were probably a hundred thousand dollars of expenses. So we merged with the firm and our net income decreased drastically because of it. And his, so now we have, son mother the the sister slash daughter was the office manager she loved to be on facebook she did not love to work um so i got to this point at the end of my relationship with solens where i'm like gosh when i'm going out and networking and bringing on clients i do the work and when you guys bring in clients the few times that, that happens i do the work and it's like i'm doing all the work you guys are just taking money out of the business because you're the majority shareholders. Uh, I, I just don't feel like this is a fair relationship. Mm. Um, and we got to the point, this is where the two and a half percent ownership uh, mention comes into play. The last six months that I worked there, there wasn't enough cash to pay me. Um, I, I got paid $2,500 in a six month period. Wow. While the sister who's on YouTube the whole time yeah. made like 20 grand during the same oh. time period. Cause I tried to convince him. I said like, I can answer phones. I'll, like 
let's get rid of her wage. We yeah. can't even afford her if we can't afford us as partners and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Cause they weren't pulling their weight. Um, so I left and that's when I created insight tax. Right. Um, and so then we've been here ever since, but for me, it, those two business experiences working for Atlas and then Solent back to back literally eliminated all possible problems that entrepreneurs might have when they need to take right. the leap. Right. I had nowhere else to go, but up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I worked at a post bankruptcy company that couldn't pay me for very much for the last six months of it. And then I worked at a firm that didn't pay me very much. It's like, look, where that are was you? Probably like, the best education you could have as an entrepreneur, wouldn't it? Isn't it? it yeah. I mean, and, and at the time I would have told you, I wasn't an entrepreneur. So I didn't even realize that I was being taught how to be an entrepreneur, but definitely it's so well said. I, I went to a very conservative university and they taught us get a job. Job security is working for a big company yeah. like a PwC or a Deloitte. And now I've learned after working for, I mean, I would say a company that does $30 million of revenue is a big company. After experiencing that, to me, the best job security is waking up every day unemployed, which is what we do as entrepreneurs. We are required to go out and create value. And by doing so, we get compensation back. I would rather have all that control in my life than give that control up because I had nothing to do with the bankruptcy of that company. The president's spending all the freaking money. I don't don't get a say, yet I lost a job while he still had his Aston Martin. (laughs) So you've mentioned people like PwC and Deloitte, and we've both experienced uh, the big four corporate What's your view on those types of businesses? And you can you can smash them. I've got I've got yeah. Um, whatever you feel. So we literally were at um, a university two nights ago talking to some of their junior student, like the students in their junior year, and we wore a T-shirt that said "The Big Four Suck." <laughs> um, I don't like their model. I think um, from from my industry, from the accounting industry, their model actually is ruining the industry. And what it does is it's forcing accountants out. I mean, you described the auditors. It's the same side on the tax side. So it doesn't matter what side you go on. Typically what happens is they come in and they say, okay, January to April 15th, tax season. Or if you're an auditor, it's January to March, right? You, everybody has two busy seasons, whether you're an auditor or a tax person. Right. And during those busy seasons, uh, standard with the big four is minimum 55 billable hours, yeah. which usually takes about 65 real life hours because not every hour is billable. Yeah. Yeah. That's if you want to keep your job. Mm. So then if you want to stand out amongst the other colleagues who you're competing against for promotions, mm. you got to work 75 to 80 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And then in year three or five, someone's going to, a headhunter is going to call them a recruiting company and they're like, Hey, I got a job for you over here in a private company. And they're like, yes, get me out of this place. This is terrible. So now we, we had someone who at some point actually enjoyed accounting and the big four models snuffed their passion out of them. And now they're working for one person as opposed to the ability to work for many people. And so um, at our firm, I actually, I am audacious enough that, I am trying to become significant enough that the big four can't ignore my model and they'll have to change the way they treat their employees so that we can keep a lot of this great talent that exists. We can keep them working um, because again, like I mentioned earlier, I think every entrepreneur should have a partner, uh, an accountant type of partner relationship. Mm. And if they're leaving because some company, the way they treated them, makes them feel like they don't want to do it anymore. Like they, because they don't see the value that they're offering the world anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just too much. It's too big of a price for them to pay. So I there's don't a lot, like them. There's a lot in, in those big four companies. Hours. I, yeah. I basically, I didn't see my second daughter for pretty much three years of her life. Um, so hours were a little, uh, and, and again, it's it, it's called politics. It's called playing the game. You have to play the game as well. And therefore you're saying you, you, you still have to do the out billable hours, but then you equally, you've got to play the game as well. And you've got to do all the things that are supplied yeah. around that as well. It, it, it is a tough environment. I, I stuck it out for 12 years at PwC and two years at KPMG. And okay. I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please don't let me go back. 
So, yeah. I mean, um, I think, and I think the lesson an entrepreneur can take out of this story is that how are you creating your company? Because even if it's just you right now as a one-man show, at some point, you're going to grow enough because you're doing, doing great things that you're going to need people to help you. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to treat that person? Because hopefully, if you're going to invest in them, uh, you want them to invest in you. Like, let's have a caring concept. Let's care about these people as opposed to treating them like you're a throwaway. Because that's how the big four does it. Like, they know that the average accountant is going to last three to five years. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to keep cycling through new students yeah. and new yeah. blood. Yeah. Like, let, let's not do that as owners. Let's actually create an environment where people want to work and want to stay working. And then they buy the into things- what you're doing. One of the things I really struggled with and something I've done with people, colleagues, peers, employees, is the simple thing. If someone does a good job, you say, thank you. You say, well done. Thanks a lot. That was great. I never got that at all. And um, no, no, hardly, hardly ever. Um, the, the, I suppose you got that for, with the bonus that you got, which sometimes wasn't great anyway. But do you know what I mean? It, it, I, I've now... I've, when I work with people, I'm very conscious of if they did a good job, tell them, make sure you tell them. They probably say I go overboard on it, but it's like just those simple things made a big impact on me. And therefore now when I work with people, if they do a great job, I tell them and I'm, I kind of make a point of telling in front of my partner, my business partner or whatever, that they've done a good job because it just was completely starved in, in, in all my time that I was there. And, and it's not just a big four. A lot of these Fortune 100 companies are yeah. kind of stuck in the old ways. Yeah. And they just haven't updated anything. Like there's so much data that supports a thank you actually is much it's better received by that person than a cash bonus. Mm. Um, here's an idea for entrepreneurs. We do this in our company. We have a 90-day trial period. And once they're once our team members done with the ninety days, then they get a full like employment agreement, and uh, we have them fill out what we call a dream one hundred and one list. It's based on the book Dream Manager. Okay. And it's just like seven or eight questions, like what are places you want to travel to, what are things you'd buy, what are hobbies you want to take on, what are skills like talents you want to develop. Mm-hmm. That gives us a crazy amount of great ideas, so that when they do a good job. We actually reward them with something off of the list. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we finished the tax season and I have one team member, I'm like, man, he did a great job. I could have given him like a $5,000 bonus. Instead, on his list was he loves golf. So, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy him custom golf clubs. Right. Nice. And so, I set him up. I said, okay, hey, Lynn, you and I, we're going to go to meet this client. It's a new client. I think you're going to get along with them really well. And we show up in the parking lot and I said, okay, I lied to you. We're not actually here to meet a client. We're going into this uh, company right here and they're going to watch your golf swing and they're going to fit you for custom golf clubs. He still talks about it. And every time he golfs, he can, he gets those clubs out and he knows that I'm thankful for what he did. Yeah, and the amazing. custom golf clubs only cost me 1500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think that's a really really positive and uh and it's a great reward for for something and it's meaningful as well rather than yeah. just a cash lump which sometimes is useful sometimes it's not um very generic question i think we've covered it kind of in pro- in the profit first stuff earlier on but is cash king in in 2021 post, post is- well not necessarily post covid but after covid a lot of companies have had to go through without having income is cash king yeah. cash is always king like literally our heart beats the blood through our system the cash is the lifeblood of your business like you you can't grow without it you can't stay in business without it you can support periods of time where you don't have it with debt mm. but that debt's got to be paid off at some point and cash does it so it's super important that owners focus on having healthy cash flow because that's really the foundation to do all the other stuff that they want to do. Mm. But without it, whatever passion they have, whatever value they're trying to bring to the world, it just can't last without healthy cash flow. And just on that, you mentioned debt, which is an interesting one. What's your view on leveraging debt and, and 
get in debt to invest in a new product or service or like for me leveraging debt might be for a property or something what's your view on the role of debt now and i don't mean credit cards i mean like sort of corporate debt that you get for buying assets or businesses yeah. or or property i i definitely think it's a valuable tool um i want business owners to do more research though before they take on that debt like what is your actual business plan you're whatever you're investing in is from a corporate level, how long is it going to take you to get revenue? You need to know that number because you need to know how much extra cash you need to sustain the debt that you just mm. took on mm. before the investment actually starts to pay off. Mm. And then you need to plan now that like, let's say you get that past that point. Now you need to plan to use the revenue that was generated to accelerate paying down that debt so that in the future, when an opportunity arises, you have the ability to repeat it. Um, I, I personally hate dealing with banks, though. <laughs> uh, it drives me insane. I don't know how it is in the UK, but in the US, they have underwriters, and they base their decision off of tax returns, yet none of the underwriters actually understand the tax returns, right. but it's the foundation of their decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've done using the Profit First system is I actually set aside a percentage of my income, and I c- created my own line of credit account. And so when I have an opportunity to come up, I borrow money from myself. So I don't have to charge myself interest, um, but I do pay it back. And now it's even, it's just even less risk when I invest in something big, but no, I'm not, I'm not against the idea of leveraging um, money to invest in an asset. As long as you have a plan and know when you're going to be able to pay that investment off. Yeah. Um, The worst thing is it's defaulting on a payment, even for one month can be an absolute nightmare for you yeah, or investing in something rating. that at the end of the day, it doesn't even work out. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Do, do your due diligence on whatever you're mm-hmm. looking to do before you take on the debt. Absolutely. Okay. So what's the, what's the plans for insight for the next two to five years? Uh, we plan to grow. Um, we want to help more small business owners. And uh, so it's doing what we're doing now, just a lot more of it. We do have some fun things. Um, I mentioned I don't think very highly of the big four. I don't treat people very well. One of the things that we're doing is we want to have a world-class training system for our new employees. So I've been kind of working on that and we're calling it the career roadmap, um, which isn't a fancy title. I'm sure I've heard it from somewhere else, but the idea being when I have a team member start, they can see on day one where their future is and the exact steps they need to take to get there. Right. Um, And once we have that in place, it's something that I'll be able to offer other accounting companies. And so like, look, here's the framework of what we do. Yeah. Like treat your accountants better. Give them this type of clarity on where they're going so that we can keep good minds and um, all this energy inside of the industry, helping business owners as opposed to them leaving and just working for one person. Yeah. Um, and, and equally, I assume onboarding, that, that will really help people onboarding as well. Totally. Cause now they're, I mean, that's that onboarding stage, man, your so team members feel so lost. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of information. So if we have a good structure on this is how we introduce you to our culture, who we are, how we do things, and then how you literally technically do things, uh, I, it makes for a better enjoyable experience for them. Absolutely. So how many employees are you at the moment? About 35. So what, two years, five years, you'll be 135. Yeah. <laughs> I think probably uh, 80. I think in two to three years, probably about 80. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, hiring is exhausting, especially right now in the current environment. Yeah. But at least you can pick up some from, uh, from the big four when they've, when they've burned out and given up. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay. We're coming to the end of the interview. I asked the same six questions to all of my guests. They quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. First one is, what's the best decision that you made? Oh, the best decision I made, other than getting married um, yeah, to my I'd wife, was amazing. <laughs> I think um, bringing on a leadership team. Okay, I, interesting. Not being the only person in charge, but having other people who now we can delegate. And just really good to have other minds helping me. And so now the, collectively we can take a vision and implement it together. So it's more efficient because everyone sees things differently 
And those differences, those conver- crucial conversations we have um, would never happen if I didn't have someone else to like say so this is how I want to do it. What's the structure? Do you have like a CMO and a CEO? Yeah, so I have, uh, I, I got a VP over marketing. I have a tax manager. I have a bookkeeping manager. Um, we have our office manager. Um, so basically the supervisors of the company are all on the leadership team. Awesome. I think that's really great. That's really smart. Um, second question is, what's the best piece of advice you've been given? Um, oh, I've been given lots of good advice. I mean, obviously I mentioned go into accounting or business. That was great. But I think for me as a business owner, I mean, just take care of your employees was probably some of the best advice. If you take care of them, they take care of you, which then they take care of your clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't remember who said it, but they said that prioritize your employees, don't prioritize your clients. Because if you prioritize your employees, they'll look after your clients. So yeah. they're the people you should be looking it's after. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's so simple, but it's actually for lots of businesses, they spend all their time on their clients and their employees feel disgruntled or not not supported and it can make a huge difference. So I think that's a great advice. Who's helped you most in your career? Uh, my wife, definitely. Uh, she was really supportive when I came home and said, I can't work at Solence anymore. Like, it's just not working. And she almost slapped me as like, it's about damn time you realize that. Because <laughs> you're like, you've been miserable for like a year. Uh, so she's always been supportive of the decisions I make. I think it's important for us as entrepreneurs to have people who support us and don't try to talk us out of what we're trying to do. Uh, next question. Do you have any regrets? Yeah. Um, I've been involved in a few legal scenarios and all of those scenarios came up because the legal contract was vague. So I regret not having more specific things in the contracts. I, I would have loved to avoid conflict whenever possible or confrontation, but when you're creating the relationship, that's the best time to work through all the possible things that could happen. Mm. And you write it in your contract so that when bad, when it, something does happen, which of course would never happen, um, you actually have all, the plan already agreed to beforehand. That's actually one of the things the big four do really, really well is their yeah. contracts because it's so heavily weighted towards the big four. It's inter- it's, it was actually quite interesting. Um when you have other companies that get their lawyers and to seriously read it instead of just going, Oh yeah, I'll be fine. We'll just, we'll just sign the document when they actually challenge it because the, the contracts are so, so weighted towards the big four. It's, it's a really, it's a really interesting area. I spent a, I spent a year in risk management while I was at PwC just on the sort of um, secondment. And uh, yeah, the stories I could tell you about the, the sort of, it's not always issues it's just sometimes it's it's being proactive so you don't have an issue within this sort of environment but uh yeah it's an interesting area um always read your contracts everyone no matter what it is you should and have them have them especially entrepreneurs we trust the people that we know Mm -hmm. because we're risk takers not all of them are yeah and if something goes a little bit awry from what they planned if you don't have a contract in place i mean i've had years of friendship with people and it just it turned sour immediately the second they weren't getting out of the relationship what they thought next question what are you most proud of i mean i'd have to say insight tax if i if i started and thought it like i left solence and went on my own because i literally needed to put food on the table i couldn't provide for my wife uh we had one baby and she was pregnant And so to think I went from a 10 by 12 room with no windows, just myself doing everything to now I have 35 people and we're helping thousands of clients grow their wealth. Um, I have to be proud about that. It's amazing. What does legacy mean to you? Um, I think leaving in an impression that actually changes somebody's behavior in a good way. And, and who, who specifically 
are you thinking you think like because immediately i start thinking so obviously family obviously employees but do you mean clients do you mean everyone you meet do you mean i think anyone you come in contact with if if we're good people and we stand for good principles and we don't waver on on those principles because gosh i mean if people just only have their head in social media and are watching the news media outlets those people are miserable human beings even if they don't want to admit it uh if and, and i feel like they're const- you're constantly being under attack nowadays if you're trying to stand for something good mm. but if you stand firm people will remember that i actually had um a high school guy find found me. I went to a very small high school and he sent me a message on Facebook. Like, Hey, thanks for adding me. He's like, I just wanted to let you know, like you stood for something in high school that I didn't understand at the time, but I'm really grateful for it now because he could remember that example. And it helped him make, I guess, a critical decision in his life. To me, that's legacy. That's amazing. And we can do that. It doesn't matter who we come in contact with. People can remember us for just being a good person. Yeah, absolutely. And the last question is, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Um, so our website is insighttax.com. And that's I-N-C-I-T-E-T-A-X. Insight means to cause to action. Insighttax.com. Um, in fact, if anyone's listening, we have a handout. If you go to insighttax.com backslash wealth, um, though we created nine questions you can ask about analyzing your expenses um we put it on a like just a fun little handout Uh, if you go there you can get it for free um that's probably and then of course we have a great content on our blog we talk about tax tips and cash flow strategies Uh, that's the best way that's amazing thank you so much john it's been an absolute pleasure thanks a lot thanks for having me cheers